All right. Well, uh, I'm excited about this evening. <laughs> Firstly, that we finally uh, managed to keep some continuity. Secondly, that um, I've just been told that we're going from one testimony to the other, one life story to the other. Boom. We're going from, uh, story from Andre's time Nick. Uh, story time with Nick. It's always fun. Trust me. My kids know story time with Nick does not disappoint. <laughs> uh, here we are just chilling and um, we uh you know we just we were talking around some certain subjects uh, i just want to make sure my tech is working i'm feeling kind of iffy about this but you're hearing me so that should be fine um and uh we we were talking about well kind of what are we talking about we're talking about well i'm, I'm just kind of thinking i I'll the need start... for the tradition the need for the tradition is a good way to put it because i was uh sharing my frustration with myself with with um about myself about just the 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 state of things i know my brother and i often talk about this i know andrea has uh has deep sympathies with this problem as well and uh, i think most people will resonate at some level and that i was just saying to nick i mean you know here i am sort of getting on now in studying and i mean obviously nothing uh not even pretending to be anything but 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 you know in terms of a lifetime in a ministry Hi, <laughs> welcome to Two Age Soldier. <laughs> I think you need to exercise your laptop or something. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have been having a few tech troubles, so forgive, forgive us. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, so I was just saying to Nick, all right. Well, you know, here's the, here's, I'm getting on in my studying, and 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 you know, halfway through ministry kind of thing, and. And, you know, I feel like, you know, a thing or two in the Bible, but it's just like the, it's such a massive book and it's, it's so big and it's so intense and it's so complicated and it's got so many things that you have to consider. And I mean, truth be told, there is no layman that's going to learn to study their Bible, like in the way that you really need to, to, you know, actually study, give it its, its worth, its due. Uh, you're not, it's just not enough life. You know, you just, you can't do that in another job. And, and, and so pastors are kind of the only ones that have a shot, Bible scholars, whatever. But, you know, even that's, that's where the frustration comes in even further, because you realize, man, the, the, the more you start digging in one area, the, the, this whole, you know, uh, whole uh, sections that, that are just completely unknown to you. And, and uh, I don't, I don't think that that's ever going to stop. I've just recently had a, a chance to talk to a a very seasoned Bible scholar at the end of his uh, uh, journey through scholarship and very productive, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, he, he was voicing a, a similar sentiment in that, you know, it's just it's too much. You've got to pick and choose ultimately. Um, and you know, that, that makes me, I suppose, enter into a new zone of appreciation for um, the need for tradition, because, you know, you just can't, get past your own lifetime i think of ecclesiastes you know no matter what you try you're gonna to have to leave it to the next guy you know you're not gonna be able to complete the project uh vanity vanity all is vanity you do really get that sense uh in life because you know you must answer to death and that's just the end of it and you've got this small little window and um and so what what chance do we have you know you think of c.s Lewis's famous remark that you know we need to we need to uh read the old 
just to sort of find new problems for ourselves, just to see things from new perspectives, to let the winds blow and, and just, uh, you know, sweep away some of the, our um, myopic focus on, on certain issues. And, um, and a similar, similar situation arises, I think, with theology and with the Bible. And, uh, you know, you just need things like confessions and tradition and so forth. Um, obviously, we're both 1689 advocates. We, we, we're firmly rooted into the Reformed Baptist uh, world year in, in New Zealand. So uh, that has been a lifesaver for both of us. And it's just great to know you're plugged into that, that vein that runs straight to the Reformation and, you know, uh, further back than that. And, um, and it's scary to even think that you would even try doing this without something like that. Um, so, you know, without, without wanting to kind of run the whole hog to Roman Catholicism, which sometimes, uh, if I'm dead honest, I'm sort of seeing the, the, the value in and, and kind of a stable the, tradition, <laughs> the genius of it all in that, you know, you got the Pope, he's, he said what he, he needs to say, and, you know, you've got this tradition and they're not even claiming to just go sola scriptura. Uh, they, they're just, they've sort of got this thing mapped out. They, they really are, you know, owning that tradition piece, um, obviously. But, you know, we see in Rome the problems that emerge in that you can start creating all these tenets uh, of, of faith that aren't even in the Bible to begin with and, you know, have no connection to the biblical uh, story. So that's another another problem on its own. But, you know, th this this leaves us in a place of tension in that, you know, you got Christians running around out there that think, hey, you know, I didn't I didn't I just got my Bible. That's all I need. And you've got cults just appearing out of everywhere all the time. And you got Protestant denominations just becoming a thing you know I, there was some scary statistic I, I came across the other day i can't remember what it is but it was it was something like you know just just very very frequent uh denomination every every so often these uh denominations are being formed um and, and just uh unprecedented in history and so forth and so you, you you're just like well you know people are running around with the bible and think they can they can do what they can't do basically and um and you know most 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 christians um, they'll go to church and think that church history began, you know, when their pastor was born or something, you know, and, and, <laughs> and it's just like that, that's, that's the, the, the most they get ever. And they just live in this very, very truncated reality. It might be completely wrong. So I think more and more, I think everyone, whether you're Roman Catholic or Anglican or Lutheran, you know, everyone has to be on the same page uh, on the need for, and the deep appreciation for historic theology and church tradition and you have to read widely and you have to be willing to be un uncomfortable at that level otherwise you are just deluding yourself basically but the question is you know what do we do with the the boundary where's the line how do we how do we use this thing properly it's you know and that's where nick's story comes in and he's going to solve the whole thing for us through <laughs> the story yeah for sure well before i get to the story maybe just to uh to resonate with what you're saying i mean uh, you probably remember I don't know how many Bible college lecturers you've experienced, but I've experienced a few where maybe you have a guy who, who knows seven dead languages, you know, mm. Sumerian, you know, Chaldean, you know, mm. and all the other archaic uh, languages besides Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, which you need to understand the scriptures. And you hear them lecture and, you know, they're so good in their field. They're such intense specialists, but because mm. they've had to spend all of their mental muscle on the area of their specialty, they've lost touch even with, with, with aspects of orthodoxy. Mm. And, um, you know, that really helps you appreciate, you know, wow, you can, you can, you can, you can dedicate your whole life 
to a particular field, you'll never become a master of that field. Mm. And what and, and then what's going to keep you orthodox in the other areas when you're giving all your time to, to one particular area? Yes. And so, you know, the creeds, <laughs> the confessions, right. the tradition, um, you know, just the, the body of Christ at large. And I guess the the sufficiency of scripture and the perspicuity of scripture. And mm-hmm. but um, so we mentioned that there's a particular testimony, and maybe you can use an example here. But uh, I don't know if you remember back to our very traumatic first meeting. Um, I think it was a, a 14 hour conversation through the night with very little sleep. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I remember was, it well. Yeah. <laughs> where I was deprived for fellowship for four years on an yeah. island. And then uh-huh. finally I find a peer who, who, wants to, who, who understands it, my language. No, and but, and who didn't want to talk at all. <laughs> <laughs> who really would prefer to be left alone, yeah. but had no choice. And then eventually. And, uh, I think I still remember some of my theological faux pas. You know, I denied the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know, I denied that uh, eschatology was in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I denied the eternal begottenness of Christ. Mm. <laughs> I, oh, I remember it well. I remember it so well. And uh, I, I'm sure that my comments and my argumentativeness filtered uh, to such an extent through my questions to Jim Renningham that he even questioned whether I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I, I remember that too. <laughs> I was sitting right next to you. When yeah. your orthodoxy was questioned. <laughs> <laughs> and did you not feel vindicated? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. But um, tell us, dear brother, how, 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 how have you been going since that point? Of, of, yeah. Know, so, uh, <clears throat> so, I mean, I mean, your, your story is probably similar to mine in terms of how we came into Christianity. You know, you, you have a background in drugs or some alternative culture that's got nearly no Christianity in it, apart from being in South Africa, where there's mm-hmm. Jesus in the air somewhere mm-hmm. as a very boring person that ought to be respected. And then through some traumatic event, you become a Christian. And then you get taught, you know, through your fundamentalist, fundamentalist, you know, landing where you landed in the church, whether it's a charismatic or a Baptist. You know, Jesus is God. <clears throat> the Jehovah Witnesses are Arians. Mm-hmm. Uh, text proofing approaches to scripture are how you prove things to yourself. And all you need is me, my Bible, and Jesus, and you can build a doctrine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you sort of start there with that sense of confidence and you go out there and, you know, you have a sense of call to the ministry. So you're engaging with in evangelism, you're talking to Muslims, you're talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. You end up finding ways of, of defending who Christ is, you know. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian. You agree with the Trinity. And Jesus is holy God. And then you start to sing songs like, come all ye faithful. You know, very God of very God, begotten, not created. And then you get exposed to the Nicene Creed and the, uh, you know, the Creed of Constantinople. Hmm. And um, you come across these phrases, eternally begotten. Hmm. And um, I'm not sure what your first experience was of uh, the doctrine of eternal begottenness. But mine was basically one of absolute confoundment. <laughs> How can you say that something is eternal without mm. beginning or end and begotten with beginning? Mm. And they put those two words together. Doesn't God expect that we will not believe a contradiction? How can he expect us to believe a contradiction? Isn't you know, God's not a God of lies and he doesn't expect us to believe lies. Mm. And so that was my, that was my initial knee jerk response. And then, uh, like all good neo-Calvinists, I found Wayne Grudem. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I left Neo Stockton. in the sense of new. <laughs> yes. Not in the sense of... Uh, Kyperian. Kyperian, yeah. thank you. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, latched onto his uh, eternal functional subordinationism as an alternative for helping us understand verses like the father is greater than I, yeah. you know, cause there are, there are some difficult verses that you, mm-hmm. you want to defend against the Jehovah's witnesses mm-hmm. and you don't want to, you don't want to draw on eternally begotten because that just seems to shoot yourself in the foot. Mm. You know, you have to, you know, firstly, you don't even understand it. And it seems to just work against everything you're trying to help the Jehovah witness see. Mm. Yet Wayne Grudem gives you what it seems to be a great option of, you know, well, you've got, you've got, the, the, so every time it's, there's a verse that says something like the father is great and I, it's describing eternal relationships of submission and authority. Mm-hmm. And so for all eternity, the son is submitting his will to the father. And, you know, and whoa, I'm also a complementarian. So this, this EFS or this ERAS, you know, this is, wow, this is awesome. You know, this mm-hmm. also helps my, this helps a woman to know that, you know, she can submit to her husband without being less human mm-hmm. as Jesus can submit to the father without being less God. And so this is a wonderful thing. And so, you know, this is, this, this helps me champion two, two great causes. And so I, I took a hold of this with both hands. And that's probably at the point at which you and I were meeting. And I was freshly uh, indoctrinated by Robert Raymond, Wayne Grudem, you know, rejecting eternal generation and opting for this new view of uh, Christ's sonship. Hmm. And basically um, you know, you carry on in your Calvinism and then you go deeper, you know, the next step to your Calvinism is you move beyond the doctrines of grace. And there are certain things that you begin to add. You begin to add some ecclesiology. You begin to add some amillennialism. You begin to <laughs> add some classical theism, mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly you begin to come across doctrines like the simplicity of God, the eternality of God, the immutability mm-hmm. of God. And, you know, you recognize that all predication about God is analogical. And so then as you revisit, you know, any, any doctrine, so let's take a basic one. God is righteous. Mm. So when we say God is righteous, we mean that analogically. He has to be righteous in a way that is true to his simplicity, his eternity, and his immutability. Mm. So in terms of immutability, he never changes. God is unchangeably righteous. In terms of his eternality, he is um, always and ever will be righteous Mm. and then you know and in terms of his simplicity and this is this was probably one of the last pennies to drop for me in terms of my classical theism was let's take the phrase god is righteous you know even just in that phrase there's a verbal error an unintentional verbal error because it sounds Mm. like there's something called righteousness and something called god that are distinct and you can say god is equal to righteousness as if righteousness preceded god as if it existed outside of god as if it existed to define god is added to god and now god is a compound being who becomes his righteousness no mm. no, no 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 god is his righteousness <laughs> he right. doesn't become his righteousness he's not defined by anything outside of himself he's self-existent as his righteousness so you understand this as simplicity. And so you sort of grab these basic concepts of theology proper as you wrestle with the incommunicable attributes of God. And then you revisit the doctrine of eternal begottenness. And now suddenly you finally got to the place where Athanasius always was. Uh. <laughs> and now you can recognize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a long way around, isn't it? Sure. I've been talking but for a long time. It, well, I mean, that's what happens, though. And it does make me nervous. Uh, I've said it aloud a few times, but 
you know, it's sort of like, oh boy, what else are we going to figure out that actually was always there, you know, because <laughs> uh, it feels like the journey is towards those things that have long been established in tradition. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, uh, that obviously, I don't know, for, 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 for anyone that's Protestant creates a, some immediate level of discomfort because, you know, there, there is a lot of the church father stuff, a lot of the, um, you know, the, the early tradition effectively yeah, even and, some of the concilia stuff yes you know, we exactly. wouldn't take all seven ecumenical creeds we would usually no. say the first four of the seven exactly and yeah and, and it starts getting progressively more difficult to to sort of um uh take on and discern and so forth but um you know how do we what do we do with that so i mean i think we've probably commented on this before so i think we've we've uh, we i think we both got this insight from sam waldron where we've recognized that at under the providence of God, at different times in church history, there's been an emphasis in what the church is discovering. Yeah. And so in the early stages of the church, what was the main doctrine that they were wrestling with? Doctrine of God. Right. So their ecclesiology was shot. They, were, they, were, they had bishoprics. You know, their, their soteriology was undefined. They were teaching all sorts of, you know, bad, you know, yeah. uh, Christus Victor and, and other sorts of theology. Yeah. But then as the church moved forward in terms of its, you know, where, where the Lord is leading it, so because we're saved by grace and not by orthodoxy, you know, mm -hmm. these men were born again mm -hmm. as they were pioneers making the first mistakes, breaking this ground in light of the apologetic moment and the controversies that were going on. They, they articulated the key doctrine that was being attacked at the time. Mm. And then so by the time we get to the Reformation, you know, justification by faith is in the foreground. And as we move forward and on and on. And so recently we've had, you know, eschatological debates. Mm, as we've mm. come to to the end of systematic theology as it were mm. and that's why jesus is coming soon i'm joking um <laughs> it's the second age the completion of the second age <laughs> so yeah. so you know why why can we go to the to the early councils and say we like the doctrine of god but we don't like their ecclesiology we like their theology proper but we don't like their soteriology yeah and so i think because of that we recognize in the providence of god that they didn't get everything right at once yeah that yeah. there was a long conversation. Yeah, I think Baldwin talks about it as the developmental nature of theology, which I think is, is you know, but, you know, I know people disagree with him on that and uh, and struggle, you know, even within Reformed Baptist circles, um, won't mention names, but don't don't like that idea at all. And and they don't like it precisely because they don't want to develop on from the 1689 confession. They, they don't want to see that tweak. They don't want to, uh, you know, have a, a 2.0 yeah. at some point. Um, and so, yeah, again, you sort of run into a little bit of tension there. I think that, let's say that's the person that has that problem. Mm. You know, if you, um, if you look at the first creed of Constantinople, it talks about that we are saved by baptism. Mm. So if they want to hold on to the 1689, if they have a certain approach to confessions that is not recognizing that mm. they're fallible and moving, mm. then they're going to have to, and maybe that's why some people do, uh, out of a forced consistency, go all mm. the way back to Roman yep, Catholicism. Yep. Well, I think you're on all some, the way yeah. back to, to orthodoxy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I think I think that's helpful in just outlining. Okay, well, you know, you've got this tradition, but you've got to keep it in a ministerial role. Can't put it in a magisterial role unless you are willing to do that. And as soon as you are, I think that is a a very quick road back to Rome for sure. Um, the the uh, the other thing that I think this impacts a little bit is uh, just 
well, I suppose there are many things in pastoral ministry, preaching, the way you would go about. I mean, let's say, let's, let's start with, I was going to go to, um, you know, actually people and pastoring people in terms of their, their understanding of all this, but, but even before we get there, I think one of the things that this does um, is as a pastor, you can, it means you can lean on church tradition in such a way that frees you from, you know, this burden that that you have to have reinvented the wheel for yeah. seven generations, you know, or even more, 14 generations, 15, 16, 20 generations after whatever council we're talking about here. And um and you know uh do everything that has been done every Sunday all by yourself. Um, you know, which is just a crazy idea, obviously, but yet we do that. I uh, personally have felt that burden and, 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 you know, it's terrifying because you, I mean, there's just anyone who's claiming that can do that is just completely deluding themselves. So yeah, at some point exactly. we are just going to have to lean on trusted scholarship and consensus and, you know, what the spirit has done through the church through throughout the years. Exactly. And, and I mean, I, th I think what I've appreciated more and more, and it's, it's probably part of my journey as well. And part of yours is we do start off in the fundamentalist mindset where <clears throat> we've circled the wagons we've kept all the liberals out we're depending upon the bible alone yeah and you know and we're throwing like, the baby, oh no bible throwing, <laughs> throwing the baby out with the bathwater in terms of the early church because mm. we rejected roman catholicism mm -hmm. as heresy you know we've rejected greek orthodoxy as, as wrong we've rejected all of the other bad denominations yeah we alone have the truth and if you don't agree with the rector as i do get out of my denomination i know you yeah. know that's that's the sort of mindset that we have uh, when we're in that those early stages yeah but then you begin to realize that god by his spirit has preserved his church he has taught his church and if you're going to be taught by the teaching officers of the church you're not only going to be, be taught by your particular pastor today mm. there are many pastors throughout the history of the church that have benefited the church at large that who's at at whose feet we can sit Mm. and benefit from mm -hmm. and so you know you you have to if you believe that god appoints teachers in the church you have to yeah. recognize that there is truth outside of what we hold today yeah and so th there's something there about the clergy laity distinction that i think needs to be you know you, you you've hinted at that there um but i think even just uh again something that i feel probably has been uh decimated in protestant in, in evolving protestantism as you know especially as you go from high church to like very low church and brethrenism and so forth where where you um you know you had in in rome not only a magisterial sort of you know a position for tradition but then that is uh that is administered so to speak through the this magisterial various offices of the of the church that are there's a sharp divide between clergy and laity i mean the, really it's only the the, the clergy that are properly the church to begin with and then every you know it's the doctrine of implicit faith and all these things but then um you know to react against that has meant that no we don't think that's right at all and so we reject the teaching office and we reject uh the, the idea of of there being a full-time pastor even and let alone elders and and uh and now it's just you know it's it's gone from so less scripture to solo scripture and from solo scripture to individual solo scripture and it's just a mess because you know it, i mean what i couldn't imagine anything scarier and you know maybe someone's listening to this going well i kind of i'm happy with that you know just me and my bible i just want you to think about what you're saying 
yeah. if, as you hold your Bible. Firstly, who <clears throat> who translated it for you? Secondly, what underlying Greek manuscript did they use or the Hebrew? I mean, like what textual yeah. criticism has been done? You hold an eclectic text underneath that translation, which is like years of scholarship that, you know, there's so many calls that have been made. Um, you know, I mean, have you even looked at any of that? And here you are just holding you and your Bible. Um, it, I, it doesn't, it's not very clever to do that because you need to at least, and it, you know, you can go to your pastor who might well have had a bit more training in this, but even that's not going to be enough because, you know, that's the, they, there needs to be the church working together on this thing, you know, yep, sure. um, and everyone's sort of hearing each other out and, and, and there's just a, a, a real, um, uh, I suppose, honesty and humility in that. And then even if it is a little bit messier that way uh, in your own mind, it's better than just completely being completely delusional, you know, just, just, <laughs> you know, pretending like you're, you're just going to get this thing right with you and, and your Bible. Um, it's a terrifying thing. I mean, you're like, just even forgetting all of that stuff I just said, just to know the contents of the Bible. Yeah. Forget the theology, just the contents, just to actually know enough about the actual contents to then work out what the theology is saying. I mean, I think personally that that would probably take you more than more time than you have, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you, you might, obviously this is not a sequential process. You're dealing with everything at the same time. And so you, you're sort of building up as you go in the Christian life and hearing sermons and putting things together, but, but still, you know, you can't let that delude you because you, you're working on an impartial, uh, at least an imperfect knowledge on, from various spheres and you're, you're putting things together slowly and you're adapting and building and, you know, you definitely haven't gotten right, got it right the first time. Um, so a few things I think are, are, you know, there to just keep us all sane at those points. <laughs> and, and the one thing is the, just the big sigh of relief that we're saved by grace, not by our, by our ability to like know everything perfectly. Amen. We're saved by Jesus, not our theology, so to speak. Um, the, the second thing is that we don't have to, you know, it's good to try, I think, because I am Protestant and, you know, we do have our Bibles and it's yeah. better than not having them. But but at the same time, you know, you can just kind of relieve yourself of that burden because, you know, unless you are particularly called to that office and have been part of that whole process, uh, you don't have to figure it out by yourself. So that's huge. And the third thing, I think, is that it's really nice to know that on the essentials, the church has been saying the same thing. Yes. You know? Yeah, and very helpful. And, you know, you do have those early <clears throat> councils and, you know, they, they are very, 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 yeah. very comforting to know that we're all effectively proclaiming the same God and we are just trying to work out the kinks, you know. So they, there is that basic reality that we have to just, uh, I'd be very, very loath to jettison uh, needlessly because that's putting all that pressure back on you. Yeah. And um, surely, surely that's not the way Jesus intended it, you know. <laughs> I don't know about you, but one of the things that sort of helped me is um, I guess there are, there are certain whitewashes of the past. Like all the early church fathers were influenced by Greek philosophy. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And that's what gave birth to the doctrine of eternal begottenness. Right. And that's what gave birth to the doctrine of God's simplicity. Right. And that's what gave birth to the doctrine of supertemporality or yeah. immutability. This is, yeah. this, is just, this is just Greek philosophy. And now that we've freed ourselves from Greek philosophy, and we've crossed the Kantian divide, and now we're using the historical critical method to, uh, of, oh of exegesis, now we finally found... Yeah, truth. exactly. Chronological snobbery going on right there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, not so. I mean, and I think one of the things we've been trying to emphasize on these podcasts is that God, by his grace his and his providence, has been working in common grace. Yep. And that there are benefits that we can get 
uh, you know, concepts that have developed mm. that uh, the church has been able to ministerially use concepts uh, from philosophy. But one of the things that I found really helpful is, I guess there was a, 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 a just a, a switch that flicked in my mind when it came to understanding the nature of systematic theology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because uh, you always you always see this juxtaposition between, you know, you've got systematic theology on this side and you've got biblical theology on the side. Mm. And if you have to choose, of course, biblical theology should always trump systematic theology mm. because they've got the Bible on their side and you guys have just got logic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <you> know? <laughs> and so there's this, this really weird divide. And yet what I've actually discovered is it's, it's actually the systematic theologians. So let's take... Let's take a, 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 a typical predicament that mm. we find that systematic theologians wrestle with. Mm. So God is sovereign over all things and evil comes to pass. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God must be sovereign over evil. Yet God is not the author or approver of evil. Mm-hmm. So, so you have this incredible difficulty of God is the author of all things. Yet God is not the author of evil, though evil exists. Yeah. Okay. So this, this is a seeming contradiction. Right. And so, so what you have is the systematic theologian who's, who's coming along and he's saying the Bible teaches God is sovereign over all things. Yeah. God cannot be the approver of these things. And so because we are so submitted to scripture mm. and because we are so willing to submit our reason to scripture, we, we hold in tension what mm. appears to be a contradiction in our faithfulness to scripture. Mm. Mm. And so when we come across a, a, a doctrine like eternal begottenness, mm. you know, the Bible teaches that there is a father. He is an eternal father. The Bible teaches that there is a son, that there, he is an eternal son. And the Bible teaches that there's a relation between them called begotten. Mm. And that's not merely from the incarnation. He was a son before he was incarnate. Mm. So there is an eternal begottenness. Yeah. And so formally that may appear a contradiction to our minds, but the systematic theologian in submission to scripture is willing to present these facts and say, guys, I can't explain it all. I don't know how mm. all the mechanics work, mm. you know, and by, by, by virtue of analogical predication, we must say that, you know, uh, the begottenness is simple. It mm-hmm. agrees with God's simplicity. The begottenness agrees with God's eternality. Mm-hmm. And the begottenness mm-hmm. agrees with, with immutability. Mm. So whatever you mean by begotten as, as it pertains to the son, it must be simple, eternal, and immutable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the job of the systematic theologian mm-hmm. in submission to scripture mm-hmm. as he draws on all the vast concepts of human reason as, as best as we can do with human speech to mm-hmm. honor the word of God. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, thinking about uh, human speech and, you know, those, ele- those things that are good, true and beautiful, as we often talk about that, you know, like when we talk about Aristotle and Aristotelian logic, we know that Aristotle did, you know, we're not saying Aristotle invented logic or, or something like that. Yeah. We're just saying he was a guy who grabbed hold of something that exists by God's ordination and, you know, and really worked with it and clarified some things. And why on earth would you not take hold of that and bring that into your reasoning process as you consider um, uh, scripture and what it says and these problems and, and uh, you know, uh, linguists and what they are saying about, you know, uh, speech and all these things you, you're going to, you're going to try and embrace all of that. And I, uh, what I, what I'd always tell people actually with the biblical theology, I mean, I'm teaching biblical theology now, not systematics. Yeah. Um, and yet I always start off saying, all right, listen, systematics is at the top. Just so you, just so everyone knows, you know, all these, uh, as, as Kuiper put it, that you have this encyclopedia of theology, which is historical theology, practical theology, you know, uh, biblical theology or exegetic, exegetical theology and then systematics and you know everything's feeding 
into the systematician. I mean, it's all giving grounding. It's not working against. It's, you know, the exegetes providing this detailed analysis of the text. The historical guys is working with what the church has said primarily. I mean, everyone's ultimately concerned about scripture, but uh, the practical guys worrying about that praxis mode all the time. And, uh, and the systematician cares about all of it. And, and yeah. he's and he's roping <laughs> all of that in to one coherent framework and just yeah. trying to make it intelligible. So if anything, systematics is on top, you know, and it's the king, I think, uh, of, of the science of the of theology. And of course, it's going to be using philosophy and logic and so forth. And, you know, and um, and and so we should never if anything, like you, I thought you were going to kind of move in this direction when you said this, because if anything, it's almost you get into biblical scholarship and it feels like the other way around. It feels like. The guys who are ironically into the Bible and, and and supposed to be doing biblical theology tend to sort of go so far in their higher criticism and this and that. They're yeah. employing such weird presuppositions. They're the ones that are actually are kind of deviating. They move away from the controls of scripture, which is yes. what systematic theologians often emphasize. Yes. Well, and, and, and they of course, use the creed as a summary of what the Bible teaches. And of course, we're talking here about reformed systematic yeah. theology, not not any old thing. Because uh, systematics gets a little bit nightmarish as soon as you go out of a confessional framework. We should say that as well. Um, man, yeah. it's like what a what a case study that is for yeah. the need for some sort of confessional framework. Because yeah. my because it's like, you know, the, imagine what arrogance that is. Here you are the king of this whole process of of just basically reeling it all together. And you're saying, well, in doing this, I'm just gonna kind of yep. just gonna move away from that confessional framework and just do it all by myself uh and, and by the way catholic theologians do this too not just reformed theologians it, it, like everyone there is a drift in scholarship in general to yeah. to move away from whatever tradition they're in and um and just go it alone and see if they can better things and it's 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 sometimes a, a scary thing so you know mm. i think you're seeing the most fruit with those who are willing <clears throat> you know i often think also even if i disagree with the confessional theologian that i'm working with or that that I'm you know in conversation with, or that I'm disagreeing with, I still have more respect for them than someone that's just abandoned tradition entirely. Um, I, I feel like it's just really helpful to be an open book about where you are, where you sit, where you're positioned, what you believe. You know, you're not you're not trying to run away and slip and slide and get away from all these doctrines. You just yeah. you think I'm open about this. This is where I am. Like it or leave it. Here's where I'm working with. I can I can more easily uh you know point that guy out as someone helpful to a christian than than the other guy who's just a free agent you know yeah and maybe just to bring in a <clears throat> an example of where the creed really helped you know, one of the one of the people i looked for for refuge in my rejection of eternal begottenness was calvin yeah i thought in my reading of him that i found someone who at least didn't like the early church fathers on this issue even if he didn't exactly articulate his dislike as i would hmm. And he articulated a doctrine of autotheos or theotes that Jesus is God in himself. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the early church creeds, they, they emphasize that the, 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 the way in which Athanasius and the, 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 the early church defended the full deity of Christ is the fact that he got his essence from the Father. That he was begotten from the essence of the Father, very God, very God, light mm -hmm. of light. That there was a, a non beginning borrowing without borrowing an eternal begottenness yeah <laughs> <laughs> a begottenness that is simple eternal and immutable yeah um, i know i don't i don't like the language of begotten but it's the language the bible uses and so we, we we paint ourselves into that corner and we use it with all of the 
qualifications of systematic theology. Hmm. But, but Calvin, what he tried to do, and I, I, I sympathize with his instinct, he basically said, well, if God is, you know, we believe in the aseity of God, that God hmm. is self-existent. Hmm. He is God in himself. He is self-existent. So if the son is God, he must be self-existent. And what he did there is he took a step outside of Nicene hmm. uh, distinctions where hmm. Christ is begotten of the essence of the father, not we can't bring the aseity to bear in terms of the essence question. We, the mm. essence question must be solved by consubstantiality, by begottenness from the essence of the father. Mm. And that's how the Nicene Orth, uh, Orthodox church did it. So just to bring in Lee Irons, mm. uh, just for one point, and we'll go and talk about it. Name drop <laughs> right there. You know, it's, Gangster. Uh, do you mean? Uh, the second time mean, he has changed my life. Do you mean uh, like Bruce Lee? Bruce no, Chuck I mean Lee like Irons? Dr. Charles Lee Irons. <laughs> Man. Chuck Norris Lee Irons. Now, <laughs> Here's the question. If Bruce Lee and Lee Irons were in a fight, who would win? Lee Irons every time. Lee Irons, easy. When, <laughs> when Lee Irons does a push-up, what happens? The, the earth goes moves. down. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, what he did is, and he just got this really short paper on his, um, on his website, Upper Register. And he just shows how Calvin and Warfield following Calvin and Van Til, who has a more radical construction than either of them, is looking to the autotheos instead of the begottenness for so if you're going to talk about christ's eternality his co-equality and co-eternality with the father it's by virtue of begottenness not by virtue of his aseity mm. and autotheosness theotasness mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. um and and just i mean I, i'm not a theologian in the caliber of calvin but just to have the the safety just just to just to be able to rest in the arms of nicene orthodoxy oh man <laughs> telling you. you know against the incredible ingenious developments of calvin and just say he just he just didn't get it right and even if he did it's almost like <laughs> it's okay you know it is because you couldn't even be expected to follow him properly anyway yeah. you know because that that would be above most mere mortals you know yeah. so you know, even that, even that, those little moments of genius, ultimately, I don't know. I mean, like, well, you know, as, as you can tell, I mean, this is the constant source of tension for me and that, you know, like at, at what level, and Meredith Klein was another <laughs> one, another one, you know, he's constantly breaking loose and doing his, you know, coming up with all these insights. And I think for, for me, as, as, as long as those are, are kind of undergirding and nourishing that. But there are controls that you don't go outside right, of. Right. As soon as that. It, can, as long degree, as you're coloring inside the lines, you're yeah. okay. I think so. And, and yeah. I'm not saying Calvin's a heretic. I mean, he no. he was he believed in an eternal father and eternal son. He's trying to honor the divinity of the son by virtue of his aseity. But but he just his construction went because if you if you say there's a self-existent father, a self-existent son, and a self-existent spirit, how many gods do you have? Three. You lose yeah. the oneness. And that's that's the era towards which Calvin's view trends. Yeah. I will not accuse him of yeah. atheism. Yeah. But but if you if 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 Christ's deity is by virtue of begottenness from the essence of the Father, mm. it's it's his 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 essence is consubstantial with the Father, and by yeah. virtue of that consubstantiality, very God of very God, he is therefore co-eternal and co-equal, and so this is the anyway. So all of that to say, if I just listened to the early church first, mm. I could have saved myself a world of trouble. Right, but you say that there's some places that you still and we all disagree exactly. with the early church. Exactly. So, 
so there's there's that element of of okay well you know you could have listened to them first and you still might not have ended up so that, that's what does make it difficult i'm not going to try and make it sound like it's a it's no, an easy granted, process. Pro- protestants are in trouble at some level because we have decided yeah. to go all right well we have to we have to keep ourselves accountable to the bible even if it's a meager attempt you know it's better it's better to try and fail even than to just you know carry on with these like unruly traditions that have just no connection <laughs> that we can even detect <laughs> you know outside of the church saying that it does you know yes um and, and you know at that level you're just sort of what are you doing you're saying okay uh, we're just com- we're convinced well i suppose luther's famous speech right we're just convinced that you know to 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 depart from the word at that level and to to if it's not in your conviction if it's if it's not coming out of anything you can see or feel or, or understand at all i mean it's not even that you have to have a perfect grasp of it but just there's just no connection some some of these things you know uh in orthodoxy and catholicism i mean how on earth you just literally if you had to go there you would have to just go there on tradition alone yeah, and, and you know what they would say to that is that well, you know, you kind of the whole thing stems out of tradition. The 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 Bible itself, the its table of contents, effectively, is tag teaming with tradition the whole way through. So you shouldn't see, yeah. you shouldn't be too worried about that. And we do end up in a in another realm of debate there in terms of canonicity. But but it, you know even that you're either going to buy it or you aren't. I suppose uh, is what it comes down to. It's it's um, because it's it seems that that cannot be a good idea you know it's just the one thing is is stable and there for everyone to objectively look at the other one is just this thing that can you know is in the heart of man and can just do whatever it needs to do to 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 move in weird directions which you know we can look back and see like every even the roman roman catholics can look back and go oh we're kind of embarrassed about that and oh that was bad and so, you know, we just don't have that kind of problem with the Bible at the end yeah. of the day. So there's just, even if you can't figure it all out, there's just something there about just, you know, hedging your bets on scripture and saying, <laughs> and saying yeah, exactly. You know, this is my best shot, but not throwing tradition away. And it's admittedly messy, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, let me, let me, let me take off my Catholic hat and let me put on my Baptist hat. So, you know, because I think this is the perfect balance, you know? And, I mean, can't I you just keep them both on though? Well, see, there's a form of Baptist Catholicism I don't like. Okay. So, you know, you probably read, you've probably come across the phase, you know, phrase where, you know, someone is writing a systematic theology, for example. Yes. I'm thinking of Douglas Kelly and his systematic theology, and he will say, you know, I'm first and foremost a Catholic. Okay. Second, a Calvinist. Got it. Third, a Presbyterian. <laughs> you know, and, and that sort of rating of yeah. where, that, where they fall is, is yeah. helpful yeah. when you're discussing theology proper. Okay. But you can't you can't say that when you're discussing ecclesiology or baptism. Exactly. Yeah. Or that's ecclesiology. That's under well, the yeah. auspices so, of ecclesiology. Because when it comes to ecclesiology, I'm first a Baptist. I'm not first Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so <clears throat> so when it comes to theology proper, which is eternal generation, does fall under the umbrella of theology proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we believe that the Catholic Church, we believe in the same God, we worship the same God with them. The Reformation was a difference over soteriology, not yeah, over theology. And, and so you could say soteriologically, we're probably first reformed yes. before anything else. Exactly. And, and, and then yeah. and then after the Westminster Confession came along, you know, we joined with the Congregationalists in being Congregational and then took another step further and mm, extra reformed mm. by becoming Baptist. So putting my Baptist hat on you know and holding fast to two particular ideas 
the sufficiency of scripture and the sufficiency of scripture in the context of the sufficiency of each local church as it's being guided according to a biblical model of elders and deacons and a congregation <clears throat> that's that's in touch with the church but ultimately bring all things to bear under scripture you know there's 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 all of these things together to mm. my mind are the safety net i just thought of a cool tongue twister what's that your sufficiency is fishy <laughs> i don't get it <laughs> try and say that try i dare you a double day sufficiency dare you. is fishy uh <laughs> she is your sufficiency that was that was already wobbly on the first go i wouldn't even <laughs> how would you even get to five let alone ten times my goodness because yeah. the thing about the sufficiency of the local church so each one of us has our own church constitution we got pastors who are submitting themselves to the word of god they're seeking because of the perspicuity of scripture on the most important issues they can be safe without being perfect on every issue they can mm. get the gospel right they can get god right they can get the worship right they can even mm -hmm. minister the sacraments and do church discipline right mm -hmm. without being able to articulate the nuances of eternal generation mm -hmm. you know they'll still mm -hmm. be in 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 the ballpark yeah yeah and i think that's the thing like we basically you know it's there is just something that we have to try and do you're in saying okay well again just we are placing all our bets all our money on the bible even if we can't work it out in every, you know, uh, even if you look at this great big debate that's roared through the ages, sola ecclesia versus sola scripture, and how does it all work? We're placing our, uh, ultimately, we're going, listen, it just sounds more reasonable. It sounds closer to what we're expected to do. It's just a better idea in general to, to hedge your bets on the Bible. We're not willing to throw away scripture. We do want to lean on, uh, not sorry, scripture, uh, uh, tradition. We do want to uh, lean on it. We should lean on it. Anyone who does lean on it is a fool, but never to the point that you are uh, denying uh, the, the the supreme authority of scripture alone. So the scripture. Um, so we're just really wanting to embrace this. There's the stage of truth. Um, you've got scripture standing right in front there, leading the way. No one's ever said, get rid of tradition uh traditions there on the stage just standing a little bit behind uh scripture as the main actor no one's saying get rid of logic it's right there philosophy right there in the back uh church history right there all of it's there even you know uh intuition and charismatic stuff is there but it's it's just that <laughs> in the right balance in the, in right, the right balance, balance. yeah exactly yeah. so it's because i mean think about a presbyterian you know I, I don't, some some reformed churches would look at x15 as a binding synod right you know, you shouldn't eat blood. You shouldn't eat strangled animals. Yeah. You know, and you should also avoid sexual immorality. True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they would see that as a binding council because of their ecclesiology, which sees mm. that as, as one of the original synod where the apostles were present. Mm. And therefore they're bound by it by virtue of the, the, their Presbyterian church government. Mm. Whereas Baptists, we have a different view, don't we? The mm. sufficiency of the local church is at the local level. Mm -hmm. it's not at the synod or assembly level and so I, I have always thought just you know in light you know and i know it's often said and i know a lot of people don't like this especially if they're not baptist but are reformed um that baptist especially you know out of that puritan tradition the baptist thing is kind of the the reformation come to its full end in terms of a consistency you know it's worked out all the kinks it's 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 actually started to apply um, Sola Fide and and uh, and all these things that were, you know, 
boiling around in seed form in, in, in the Reformation when it departed from Rome. It took a while to work out the kings, but I think when, when you get to a Baptist ecclesiology, I feel anyway, that you do have a kind of full, okay, this is what it means to be Protestant. You know, this is this is ultimately where this goes. So a logical conclusion, right? <laughs> you know, right or wrong, right? Yeah. You know, it could be wrong, but this is what it what it ultimately. You could play around in the middle with all these tensions and stuff, and maybe that's the best way to go. I don't know. I didn't want to make a call yeah. on that, but but you know, this is what it looks like, logically speaking, anyway, to be exactly. to be a full Protestant. And so, you know, I think that that kind of idea is is helpful because you know, then when, when you see the fracturing of many denominations and all that, well, Baptist theology is already accounted for, it's already gone way ahead of that and said, well, we've just, we call that church planning. (laughs) (laughs) So you just do it, just go as much as you can. Well, let let me, let me bring in a ludicrous example, which I've lived. If you were the only church on an Island Mm. with no denomination to draw on for synods and councils and creedal help, do, do you have enough as that one single local church on an island, the only evangelical church, to do all that you need to do in terms of how to, you know, study the scriptures, believe what is true about the scriptures, administer the sacraments, do church discipline? And that's the for me, that's the sufficiency of the local church. Right. And so, although you are in conversation with the broader church, you you, you admit that you're part of the the universal church, definitely. Yeah. But there's a sufficiency at the level of the local church. Which, which is congregational church government, which is where the congregations, the Baptists, we share that in common. Yeah. That's so, so we're able to, we're able to be connected to the past in mm-hmm. the councils, but we're not, we're not legally bound to that in ways like Presbyterians or Anglicans or Catholics or the Orthodox are. Mm. And they have to, with a false consistency, have to submit themselves to everything that all the councils have ever said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Scriptures are still our ultimate authority and we yeah. can, still you know that is still enough yeah and we test uh, all things but on the flip side of that if a baptist church in all its autonomy is decides to take that as a thing unto itself and and cut itself off from church tradition and 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 all of these things and councils yes. and questions and creeds it ends up looking like the worst of all of them you know it, it just goes you know it really is is that it, it'll be it'll, be, it'll look terrible but it could still preach the gospel and get people saved it could still administer baptism and people would be legitimately baptized and we would it would still it would be bad off it would, well, wouldn't be how well how long would it last is the question exactly and, and and it would it would possibly it would end in church splits possibly it would end in dominant personalities no look church into- splits aren't a problem that's what we call church planning but, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh what i'm thinking is more in terms of like you know it's some pastor has just you know there he is preaching the bible or some congregation and they've got gotten into their mind that the Bible says something or other, and it just literally is not saying that. And, you know, they're not working with anything substantial to say what they're saying. And yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, is not every cult born in that direction? It sort of comes sure. out of that. So I think, I think you have to be honest and going, all right. Yeah. We've so you taken want that the safety net, you want the safety net of tradition. Exactly. And, and so for all the glory of being a consistent outworking of the Protestant Reformation, there is that very scary thing yeah. that could happen. It saves us from reinventing the wheel. It saves us from falling into yeah. the, the traditional pitfalls. You know, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. It's and that is where 
the Presbyterian camp and the Anglican camp and all of those guys, Lutherans. I mean, they 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 have just they've chosen that middle space. They've chosen the all right. It's okay if we're a little bit in tension in terms of not not having that full outworking, but they've they've just got a little bit more security on the tradition front. You know, they they've just roped themselves in a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, we got so a little it is more a bit... freedom on the uh, <laughs> congregational front. Exactly, exactly. So it's all yeah. a little bit of give and take. So um, I'm I'm a with... congregationalist at heart, brother. I believe yeah. in the sufficiency of the local church. Yeah, I mean, it depends if the Pope's in your local church at the time. <laughs> I am the Pope. Okay, whoa. <laughs> Papa. I knew I wanted to call you Papa. I'll be uh, your Papa, Mike. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to edit that up. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so what have we solved? Everything. <laughs> Everything. We have solved everything. Go Baptist, go traditional. Traditional Baptist retrieval, retrieval Baptist. Baptist retrieval. Like we don't want to say Catholic Baptist because <clears throat> that's a thing. I know, I know, I know. You're what not you part of do. that thing. You could join. Yeah. My brother and I have started a, a denomination, so you can join our denomination if you want. Lutheran Baptist. <laughs> what that's it basically requires is a Lutheran prayer book. Like you, you know, as I long as you're that. using that, and you've got to be using the Lutheran Rosary, and so if you got those two down, you can basically hold to the 689 if you want. Yeah, to. at some point we should do a podcast on why I hate liturgies. Yeah, <laughs> I feel the podcast coming on. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I, that's sufficiently productive for one evening for me. Uh, <laughs> this is what happens when you don't have a plan. Exactly. It's really exactly. So now we'll leave it to you, oh listener. <laughs> Whose story do you prefer, Andres or Nick's? I'm sure I prefer Andres. Who, whose story was more helpful to you? Was it was it Andres <laughs> or was it Nick's? <laughs> <laughs> whose story I, I, has led I, you to an actual nervous breakup, Andres <laughs> or Nick? Who, yeah. Whose story has left you feeling kind of weird, Andres or Nick's? <laughs> I have problems no one ever has. <laughs> totally all right well anyways there we go thanks for joining us in truth we'll see you next week maybe not next week next week next uh fortnight maybe goodbye goodbye